0: All right, we are continuing to look at First uh, Peter, we are in chapter 5, and uh, it is clear that God blesses those who obey His Word. We see evidence of that throughout Scripture, His Word makes it clear that that's part of His plan, uh, that He wants to bless us, and that He wants to bless those who honor Him, who obey His Word. I've entitled today's message, The Blessings of Humility. And as we look at our passage today in chapter 5, you'll see that he is revisiting two key themes that he has already uh, touched on throughout the chapters leading up to this. And those two themes are uh, submission and humility. So he speaks of how we are to relate to one another within the church. And he's made his case for submission. You may recall some of the passages that we had looked at before today. Chapter 2, verse 13, he says, "...be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution." Chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. And Chapter 3, verse 1, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So he's made a case for the importance of submission. He's also made his case in the chapters leading up to chapter 5 for how we as Christians, as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, how we are to relate to one another within the church. We see in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So he has given us clear instructions about how we are to relate to one another. We are to follow His instructions. We are to obey His Word. He says in chapter 4, verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Verse 9 of chapter 4, he says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. In verse 10 of that same chapter, he says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So he's made a case for submission, and he has made his case for how we as believers are to relate to one another within the church. And now we come to today's passage, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. If you will read along with me there, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. So in verse 5... We see that he continues with this principle of submission, the concept of, of order within the body of Christ, that there is a certain ordained order. Uh, god is a, a god of not a god of chaos, not a god of confusion, but a god of order, and so he has established a certain order within his kingdom, he's established a certain order within his church And so he continues with this principle of submission and order. He uses the word at the beginning of this passage in verse 5, likewise. So obviously we know that likewise is going to refer to something that precedes that. So likewise, if you recall, he said that the elders who shepherd the flock of God are subject to who? The chief shepherd. Right, so we see order there that the, the elders are the shepherd of God's flock, and those shepherds are subject to, submissive to, the chief shepherd, who of course is the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse five goes on, and he combines the principle of submission and honor with how we are to function within the church. So likewise, as elders are subject to the chief shepherd, so he says, you who are younger, be subject to those who are older. Now this harkens back to something that I had referenced, I guess it was last week, where I was trying to distinguish for you the difference between elder as a position and elder as a state of being um, The same word is used, but the only way to really differentiate is within the context. And so if you look, as in my uh, translation here, the English Standard Version, what it actually says is, you who are younger be subject to the elders, right? Some would interpret that to mean the elders that he's been talking about up to this point, but others contend that he is simply talking about those who are older. And I think that we have turned a corner here, if you look at the broader context of the passage, and I come down on the side of, uh, he is making a, a difference about the older people, not just the position of an elder. So it would read something like, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject or submissive to those who are older. Does that make sense? All right, so he, uh, you who are younger, be subject to those who are older, and so it should be, with, particularly within the church. You know, I, I think about so many things that we we talk about here within the church, and how we should be. You know, we should be compassionate, we should be loving, we should be patient, we should do all of those things. But I mean, shouldn't we do that most certainly within the church? I mean, are you going to leave the church? These people that God has has planted in your life and you're you're going to go and be you're going to be nice to other people you're going to be compassionate to other people you're going to be loving to other people but you're not going to do that within the church. I mean I would think if anything most certainly at the very least you're going to be compassionate and loving and patient and all those things to the people that are within the church your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so particularly within the church, I think we should see evidence that we are respectful and that we show honor to those who are older, particularly within the church. Now we should do that all the time. We should show honor and respect for those who are older everywhere. But at the very least, it should start in the church. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, there the Apostle Paul reinforces this concept of showing honor and respect to those who are older. He says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, and older women as mothers. And so within the church we should see This lived out, we should see evidence of this uh, deference and respect and submission and honor for the older among us. And one of the ways that we honor others is to exercise humility. In verse 5, he goes on and he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Toward one another. So, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to those who are older and clothe yourselves, all of you, not just the younger, but all of you, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Now, this word humility uh, can be boiled down to a simple phrase, and that would be others first. Humility is really about putting others first. When uh, our children were small, we tried to teach them what we call the concept of the preciousness of others. You know, always think in terms of how your actions, your words, whatever you do, might impact others. Because others are precious to God. And so they should be to us. And so we should always consider others first. Now, that's not natural, that's unnatural, because in our natural self, it's all about me, right? Everything is about me. And then, that is compounded in our society, because so much of the marketing and stuff leverages that natural tendency, and the uh, marketing tells us strongly, adamantly, that everything is about who? Me. Get it my way. Live life to the fullest. The gusto of life. Get it now while you can. Step on others. Do whatever it takes. That's the mentality of the world. When God tells us to be countercultural, that humility that He calls us to as His followers, He calls us to a life of humility, and that means others first. We should consider the preciousness of others. We should consider the needs and the interests of others before ourselves. Now there are those who will say things like, well, I'm just no good in an effort to convey or portray a sense of humility. But what that is really is just a false humility. You see, God's not telling us that we should tear ourselves down. He's not saying that we should go around and say, well, I'm just no good, I'm not good enough. Well, quite the contrary. Think about that. I mean, God made us. He made us. He made us the way we are. And so, to say that I'm no good, and, and I can't do anything, and I'm worthless, I mean, in effect... That's an indictment against God. You're saying, God, you didn't do a good job. You must have messed up on me because I'm not all that I should be. He's not saying that we should tear ourselves down, that that's not humility. It's not about tearing ourselves down. It's about elevating others. We should rejoice in who we are and how we are, that God made us, that He made us the way we are, and we bring Him joy. But in addition to that, we should honor other people. We should put their needs and interests above our own. We should consider others first. So he's not looking for some false humility where we just tear ourselves down. He wants us to rejoice in who we are, but he also wants us to elevate and honor others, put others first ahead of ourselves. We see this principle reinforced by the Apostle Paul in uh, his letter to the Philippian church. Chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. There Paul says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. You see, there's your definition of humility. That in humility, consider others above yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, that's what he's calling us to when he says that he's looking for us to be humble. He's calling us to put the interests of others ahead of ourselves, to consider others first. So in our passage today, he has told us that there are blessings for humility. The first blessing that we see says that God gives grace to the humble. Likewise, you who are young, be subject to those who are older. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So our first blessing we see here is that God gives grace to the humble. Now this word grace here, I want to make sure that we are clear about the meaning of this word grace. We use the word grace quite often in reference to our unmerited favor before God, that He shows grace to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? So grace, we think of it many times in terms of salvation and redemption, and it is a part of that. But that's not really what grace means. A, a better translation of the word grace itself is unmerited favor. Okay, so we use it in that context, but they are not synonymous. So when we say grace, we're not saying that grace means salvation or redemption. So in, in order to put it into context here, I want you to understand that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He is not saying, Peter's not saying here that you are saved by being humble. You understand? So he's saying that God shows unmerited favor to the humble. If you go out and look up the word grace and the definition in the uh, Greek, the definition, the kind of the long version of the definition is favor, disposed to, inclined toward, Favorable towards, leaning towards to share benefit. It is preeminently used of the Lord's favor, freely extended to give Himself away to people. So it has in it this sense of God leaning out toward us, that His grace is showing favor toward us, that He is acting in our best interests that He is showing favor to us. This, just to give you an example, this same word is used in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 30, where the angel comes to Mary about her virgin birth. And it says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That word translated favor there is the same word translated grace in our passage today. And so what it says then is, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace or shows favor or extends His favor toward the humble. The second blessing that we see in our passage today is God will exalt the humble. Verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Jesus Himself makes clear the importance of humbling ourselves. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, He says, Whoever exalts himself You go around pompous, bragging, trying to make yourself more than what you are. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Who do you think is going to do that humbling? It's going to be God. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. So it should be God who exalts us, not we ourselves. This idea of being exalted is, as you might imagine, it's being lifted up, but more than just being lifted up, it's being lifted up to a proper position. Uh, Scripture tells of, uh, uh, Jesus tells a parable about, you know, the man who comes in and takes the best seat in the house up front because he's elevating himself, right? He's, He's not being humble, and then the host comes in and asks him to move and let somebody else come in and sit down, right? So that person is being, Uh, exalted that person is being put into the position of honor that they deserve and so it is with us that we should humble ourselves and allow christ to lift us up to exalt us into uh, the position that we um, are right to we have all of the riches we have all the inheritance of christ and so we may be exalted to that position but we are not the ones to do the exalting. God is the one who should be doing the exalting. So God blesses us when we obey His Word. He calls us to be humble, to exercise humility. And humility, in its essence, means considering others first. So there are blessings to be had by obeying God's Word. And in this passage, we see that those blessings of humility, that when we humble ourselves before God, and we humble ourselves in the lives of other people, when we put others first, His Word tells us that God gives favor to the humble. And God exalts or lifts up those who are humble. Now, I wanted to leave this last part, verse 7, kind of to itself, because I want to explain a couple of things about it. So if you look at verse 7, in your Bible, mine says, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Now this begs the question, who is doing the casting? Who is doing the casting of your anxieties? the way the the way this reads in the original Greek, that's why I paused there because I was reading over this and it, it it's not normal syntax. it's not normal uh, order like we think of in English so the words sometimes are kind of Disjointed, But let me render this to you, in English, what it says, essentially, uh, in Greek. But that verse actually says, You He may exalt in time, all the anxiety of you casting on to Him, because to Him it matters about you. Now, this is splitting hairs, and I'm not saying that I'm right and others are wrong. And if you go out and look at commentaries, you're going to find you know, a lot of them, maybe even most of them, interpret this to say that we are to cast our anxieties on to Him. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, obviously, I mean, that that's a blessing, isn't it, that we should be able to cast our anxieties on to God, that we don't have to hold on to them, that we can get rid of them, we can cast them on to God. And... Uh, But if you read this in the original language, keeping in mind that we don't have the typical things like we have in English, the punctuation and and all those sorts of things, but if you read it simply as it is worded, you, he may exalt in time, right? So who's acting here? In that first part, who is acting? God is acting. You, he may exalt in time. All the anxiety of you casting on to him. Now that word him is a pronoun that could be translated as him or he or his or himself. Now let's see what if it read like this. You he may exalt in time all the anxiety of you casting upon himself. Who's doing the casting? In that context, God is doing the casting. Think about that for a moment. You know, the whole concept of salvation is nothing that we've done, nothing we can do to save ourselves. And here what I see in this passage is just another blessing. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time that He may exalt you. That He might exalt you. He's the one who's acting. And He also will cast your anxieties upon Himself. He will take those anxieties from you and place them upon Himself because He cares for you. You see, that's the only way I can see this. I understand the argument the other way, but when I look at the original text and I look at the context here, I don't see how that fits together that God will exalt you because He cares for you, but you've got to cast your anxieties on Him. You see, I see it's all one continuous thought. This is telling us what God will do for us. That if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that in the proper time He will exalt us, and He will cast our anxieties upon Himself. Because He cares for us. To say that we need to cast our anxieties upon Him because He cares for us? It really, to me, I, I, I struggle with how that makes sense in this context. It makes more sense that He will exalt us. That He will take our anxieties upon Himself. Because He cares for us. Casting our anxieties upon himself. So, either way, we cast them upon him or he casts them upon himself. The underlying principle there is still the same. They're not ours to bear. That we don't have to carry those anxieties around. That most certainly, whether we give them to him or whether he takes them upon himself, the joy... The blessed promise is that we don't have to carry those burdens. We don't have to carry those anxieties. That part of the blessing is that He is willing to take our anxieties, to take our burdens, and carry those for us. So how do we get rid of those anxieties? Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 through 7 make it clear. There the Apostle Paul tells us, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, just let your requests be known to God. Let Him know what your anxieties are. Let Him know what your burdens are. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Who doesn't want more peace in their life? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word that blesses us, that encourages us. Father, that admonishes us and challenges us. Father, our responsibility is to love you. Certainly we are to obey you. But the Lord Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. And so I'm convinced, Father, that if we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we will be obedient, that we will obey you, not out of fear, but out of love. That we will, if we love you, we will obey. And Father, your word is reassuring, it's comforting, it's encouraging that you bless those who obey your word. And Father, as we see this morning, that you call us to be humble, that you call us to consider others first, and that when we do that, that you will bless. Father, I ask that you help us to be obedient, to be humble, to put others first, out of a love for you, out of obedience to your word. These things I lift up to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.